You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings. Uh, I'm Jim Finley. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to our time here together, turning to the Christian mystic St. Teresa of Avila for trustworthy guidance and deepening our experience of and response to God's presence in our lives. In this session, we'll be reflecting on her, the way she tries to understand um, the uh, second mansion of the soul, how we can discern that we have entered, uh, found our way into the second mansion of the soul. And uh, this is just one chapter in the second mansion. And on the uh, third paragraph of this chapter, uh, she begins this way. These souls, that is, these souls that have entered the second mansion, can understand the Lord when he calls them. For as they gradually get nearer to the place where his majesty dwells, he becomes a very good neighbor to them. And such are his mercy and goodness that even when we are engaged in our worldly pastimes and businesses and pleasures and hagglings, even when we are falling into sin and rising from them again, in spite of all that, this Lord of ours is so anxious that we should desire him and strive after his companionship that he calls us ceaselessly, time after time, to approach him. And this voice is so sweet to us, she says. I'd like to begin by reflecting on this. She's inviting us, I think, to um, discern something that begins to occur within us in our ongoing efforts to live in the first mansion. And as you'll recall, the first mansion of the soul consists of the ways that um, uh, our, our relationship with God begins to become more real and important to us in a deeply personal way for us. And, and moved by the desire to stabilize ourselves in this relationship with God or in God's ceaseless relationship with us, sustaining us day by day. Uh, we begin to s commit ourselves to a daily practice of prayer and to move in closer to this sense of God's presence in our life. And we discover it's not easy that the, uh, the centrifugal force of life's demands and complexities still tend to have a grip on us. And even when we do go to pray, it's hard to be faithful to prayer in a consistent way. It's hard to find the time to do it and so on. And then when we do pray, uh, the, our distractions uh, follow us into the prayer itself. Our preoccupations keep showing up in the prayer. And she encourages us not to be discouraged by that, but to start over again, over and over again, asking for God's help, renewing our desire to return to prayer, to be present to God in prayer and so on. And in the midst of that sincere effort, we realize that something starts to happen to us. And it's so subtle, uh, we might not notice it at first. But we notice, so let's say we're reading the Gospels as our prayer, as our lexio. 
that when we read something that Jesus says in the Gospels, it isn't just as in the first mansion where we sit that that's beautiful, where we try to take in the lesson of that or what we can learn from that, uh, but rather we get the sense that the deathless presence of Jesus is personally speaking to us, saying those words to us personally within ourselves as, as we hear those words. So too in reading the Psalms or another all, all of Scripture, or in reading any spiritual book or any writing or any, any words of anyone that conveys to us the presence of God, it conveys it in a more intimate, personal way in which we begin to sense something we might say the rhythms of, of, of God's voice or the cadences of God's voice and the rhythm and cadences of the words of our, our prayerful reading and reflection, she says. Furthermore, not only is there a subtle uh, deepening of this newly sensed uh, presence of God, but also it starts showing up throughout the day, you know, in the midst of the day's haggling,s she says, we're, we're driving along at rush hour or in the midst of whatever. And as if out of the corner of our eye, there's little glimpses, little moments of encounters with people, which are tends to flash forth a sense of uh, God letting us know of His presence right there in that encounter, in that moment, in that event, in that simple uh, activity like this. And um, even in our sins, that is, even when we stumble and fall in ways of not being faithful or true to um, the love that we're called to be true to in our life and faith, we sense that even there, we sense God's tender mercy, loving us in the shortcoming, loving us in, in our faltering ways. And so this is all very personal, of course, but little by little in all kinds of ways, there's a more of a kind of growing kind of atmospheric underlying sensitivities that kind of um, meekly shines out through the details of even what it is to wake up in the morning or to drift off to sleep at night. Uh, just life, just life, there is this sense, subtle, subtle, subtle. In the midst of the ongoing struggles, the midst of the ongoing distractions, the midst of all of it, it starts to be infused by this quality of uh, this uh, presence of God. She then continues to clarify what she means by this. Next paragraph. I do not mean that he speaks to us, that is, speaking to us in this kind of intimate, interior way in our heart. I do not mean that he speaks to us and calls to us in the precise way that I shall describe later. That is to say, later on in later mansions, particularly beginning in the fourth, that the voice of God becomes more intimately clear in a, in a way that qualitatively transcends where we are right now in this stage of things. But rather, he appeals to us through the conversations of good people. That is to say, um, just conversations with friends, conversations of people with good of goodwill, conversations with people with whom we share a ministry or a form of service to the community, or just around the family table at night talking. That we begin, begin to sense God's presence in, in, the, in the intimate rhythms and 
details of these uh, encounters with these people in our lives. See, or from sermons. Someone says something in a sermon, in liturgy, in worship, and it strikes us in a personal way as if it was meant personally, uh, God speaks personally to us in that word we, we carry it in our heart and take it home with us. Uh, with the reading of good books, and there are many other ways of which you have heard, of which God calls us. Or they may come to us, she now expands the repertoire of the ways in which we experience the second mansion stirrings of this intimacy. It comes to us through sickness and trials. This is sometimes in the midst of an ongoing illness with all of its burdens and challenges and all of our efforts to restore health and so on. Uh, we begin, to, as we take that to prayer, we begin to sense how God is present to us and sustaining us in the illness, teaching us lessons about the fragility of the body and to go deeper in what it means that God takes care of us and sustains us. Or perhaps it's in the illness of a, of a loved one, taking care of a loved one with an ongoing illness. And what we learn about love is we learn to be there for and with that person. We're different trials in life, difficulties. You know, I'm sharing this now in the midst of this pandemic, and um, we're all in this together, going through this. And my, my daughter, my oldest daughter, who's a, a hospice nurse, who uh, works in a hospital, sometimes working with patients, have the virus has to take all the precautions necessary and the, just just admitting someone into hospice in the hospital just right on the front lines and her commitment to that and all the many 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 people like her are called to be there for and with like the how we're moved by the goodness of these people they're taking and uh, we're all caught up in this together and we sense the presence of God and the goodness and the courage and the efforts of these you know, people in the midst of trying and difficult times. And, uh, and then along with it, of course, there comes then the realizations, these inner quickenings, these unexpected little glances or touches of love that come to us in our prayer. So this then is a kind of a, we might say, is a hallmark of the second mansion. Um, as a kind of a, a graced, uh, qualitative state of consciousness, a, a way of being in the world. She, she, she cites another very important um, quality we can begin to discern within ourselves uh, in, in this second mansion of the soul. She says, this is uh, two paragraphs later in this chapter, she says, well, it begins to realize that the will, the will inclines to love one whom it has seen so many acts and signs of love, some of which it would like to return. In particular, the will, shows, the will shows the soul how this true lover, which is God, the beloved, never leaves the soul, but goes with it everywhere and gives it life and being. 
That is to say, there is a growing awareness that one's very life, one's very breath, one's uh, waking up in the morning and going to sleep at night and drinking water, just being alive is an act of God's love. That, that, that somehow life itself it carries the mystery of kind of incarnate infinity, where it carries the mystery of a certain inherent blessedness, uh, and the mystery and the gift of, of just being grateful for God's presence and the intimate immediacy of life itself. And then in realizing this love, we're then moved to return the love, she says. That is, in sensing the goodness of God, this kind of more intimately realized sense of the nearness of God sustaining love, we're then moved by the love of God to give ourselves in love to this love that is sustaining us and giving itself to us in so many ways in the midst of life's difficulties, in the midst of the unresolved matters of our mind and heart, in the midst of the day by day. And it is in this desire to, to uh, reciprocate this love, that is to obediential fidelity and this reciprocity of love. She then, ends, she then adds another thing characteristic of the second mansion. And in it she says this, and this is the first paragraph of the chapter. She says, she again begins by saying the second mansion begins the chapter. This chapter has to do with those who have already begun to practice prayer and who realize the importance of not remaining in the first mansion that we were describing earlier, being so caught up in the ways of circumstantial things, but who often are not yet resolute enough to leave those mansions. It will not avoid occasions of sin, which is a very perilous condition. But it is a very great mercy that they should contrive to escape from the snakes and other poisonous creatures, if only for short periods, and should realize that it is good to flee from them. In some ways, these souls have a much harder time than those in the first mansion. But they are actually in less peril for they seem now to understand their position, and there's great hope that they will get further into the castle still. I'd like to end on this note, on how this is harder uh, in the second mansion, but it's the, in the second mansion we are of less peril. How so? I, I, to me it seems in two ways. The first is that, you know, the more we fall in love with someone, the more we like deeply love someone whom we sense uh, loves us, the more sensitive we become to the, to the habits of the mind and the heart and the ways in which we unintentionally cause the beloved any kind of distress or any kind of uh, sadness or difficulty. And these habits of the heart uh, are often habits we brought in, brought into the relationship with us. For example, the tendency to withhold intimacy, the tendency not to initiate getting vulnerable and sharing something that's important and real but difficult to share, letting go of a resentment, um, uh, not not. Uh, sensing that there's a kind of a resistance 
to letting in a yet deeper vulnerability to the gift of the love that's deepening within us. How I put it sometimes is, is that we're afraid to lose the control that we think that we have over the life that we think that we're living. As Merton says, um, we cannot love and live on our own terms. And so we realize that we're still, still carry within us these compromising attitudes that get played out in the relationship. And then secondly, we realize <coughs> that, uh, th that it's not easy to move beyond these things. And it's a gift to see them. And it's a gift to desire to be a better lover, a better lover, a better husband, a better wife, a better mother, a better father, a better friend, see, a better companion to the, to the significant other, whoever that might be. It's good to see that. But we realize that these habits of the heart were kind of traumatically bonded to these habits of the heart that were formed often in, as survival strategies and trauma and abandonment. And, um, and so we, we uh, uh, another way of putting it, it isn't just that when we got into the castle, we were careless in these reptiles, that is, these habits got in with us, but we realized that we're raising them as pets. That is, we realize we're sneaking out and dating them at night. We still have these little dalliances, these little um, ongoing habits that we know compromise the fullness of the love that we're called to to um, surrender ourselves over to in the love of God. And I also think that what happens in all of this then is that we're, we're being asked by this love to give up the ideology of perfectionism. That is, the ideology of our inner peace being dependent on our ability to measure up to the standard of love we feel called to. We're being asked to give that up and handing all that over to being surrendered over to the infinite love that loves us so unexplainably in the midst of these unresolved uh, matters that we have not yet been able to work through. And so um, this is the gift of tears. See, the gift of tears is this being invincibly loved and being so unexplainably precious in the midst of so many very real, tangible shortcomings and unresolved things that end up compromising ourselves and others and not responding to the love of God. And so then this very difficulty then uh, we're placed in the mercy of God makes us actually all the more challenging. We're actually safer because we're, we're, our vulnerabilities, our unresolved vulnerabilities are safer because we hand them over into the mercy of God. And um, th these then are some of the qualities that she invites us to discern within ourselves uh, in terms of, of being in the second mansion uh, of our soul and our journey towards God. So I um, bring this now to prayer and meditation. Again, just for a few moments here, sitting with this, on uh, just sitting quietly in the presence of God on how, how this strikes you. That is, what is it about what's being said here, what Teresa is inviting us to consider? In what way do we think it pertains to us? And what it's asking out of us or kind of where we're at? in our own unique experience of these intimate matters. So I invite you to sit straight then, fold your hands in prayer and bow.
after me. Be still and know I am God. Be still and know I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be.
Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Mary, Mother of Contemplatives, pray for us. St. John of the Cross, pray for us. St. Teresa of Avila, pray for us. Blessings till next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics a podcast created by the Centre for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.